0: Hey, welcome back to the Urban Monk. Dr. Pedram Shojai hanging out in studio. Uh, lots of things hit in the news lately about um, medicines that we could take that might possibly be increasing our chance of heart disease, whether it's Advil, aspirin and all that. So it is happening right now, it is trending in the news, and my guest today is Dr. Stephen Gundry, who's a medical doctor, a heart surgeon, who uh, is predominantly talking about how you can avoid uh, chronic disease, and he's doing a lot of work with autoimmune disease right now uh, in uh, his clinical practices in Palm Springs in Santa Barbara, California, Uh, and he's just uh, one of these go-to guys who knows what he's talking about and is, you know, talking some real sense out there, so I'm happy to have him on the show. Doc, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks for doing the work
0: that you do. Um, you know, it's uh, th- there's a lot of work to be done in heart surgery, but I think, you know, the, the bigger work is in preventing heart surgery, right?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's why I pretty much uh, I resigned as chairman and professor of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University 17 years ago when I found that I could reverse people's heart disease by teaching them how to eat. And uh, that was... Uh, it was a bad day for me because uh, you, you can make a lot of money as a art surgeon, and not so much in teaching people how to eat. But it was the best day that ever happened to me because yeah. I can watch people uh, take control of their health.
0: Yeah, what a yeah, what an inconvenient pay cut, right? Doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough. The money is in sick care. The money is in interventions, big interventions, expensive interventions. And so, you know, talking about eating plants and and you know, going for walks and all the stuff that doesn't cost any money, you know, that's not that's not the most popular message, uh, but it should be.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, consulted by uh, several businesses in uh, in the Michi- in the Michigan area, a very large city. And they wanted me to come in and teach their employees how to eat. And then I said, well, you know, you've got a very famous uh, medical center there in town. And, you know, it's a university. And why don't you work with them? And they said, well, yeah, we've gone and met with them. And uh, their response was, look, uh, we're, we're in the sick care business. Mm-hmm. And being in the health care business, even though it says health, you know, sciences university, Is exactly opposite of what our mission is, and if we work with you, then we lose business. This is a true story. So, uh, unfortunately, that's how we're structured. Yeah,
0: I remember um, in my twenties getting to sit at the uh, table with a bunch of hospital CEOs, and I asked the guy how he was doing. He said, "Terrible. I need it to rain or something around here. I need some people to fall off the roof because business is business is slow." And I and I just it, it. Basically, shuddered me to, to realize that you know we would be wishing ill will upon humanity to you know keep the business of healthcare alive, and so you know there is uh, a real paradigm shift that we're standing in right now, and uh, we understand a lot of things that you know we didn't then. And you've been you know you're out there. You got a, a, a book. I think I saw you on the New York Times bestseller list. Yes.
1: Uh yeah, just uh, landed on the New York Times bestseller number two in the in the nation. The plant paradox. Good for you.
0: The plant paradox just came out. You got Dr. Oz. You got uh, Terry Walls, who I know. uh, Tony Robbins. Uh, You got some good endorsements, and so you've been around. The block and people are, are are paying attention to what you're saying, which is fantastic. Uh, one of the things that you, that you're doing with your work that's interesting to me is really kind of calling out some of these supposed healthy foods, because I think a lot of people go through the halfway house of you know the the crappy stuff before they end up realizing what they should actually be eating. So I'd love to get into that.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that got me very interested, um, I had a major at Yale University as an undergraduate in human evolutionary biology, where I basically uh, defended a thesis that you could manipulate a great ape's food supply, change his environment, and predict you'd end up with a human. And I actually uh, got an honors uh, for my thesis, and long story short, when I started doing this, I actually went back to my original research to investigate foods that we were actually evolutionary adapted to. And one of the things that's really happened to us, really in the last 10,000 years, and more importantly in the last 500 years, is the foods that we're adapted to, and our genetic adaptation, and more importantly the microbiome, the bugs that live in our gut are adapted to, we, we come from tree living animals and we ate leaves and we ate a lot of tubers and uh, quite frankly we ate a lot of shellfish but that's a whole different story. Uh, We're not designed to eat grasses or the grains of grasses. We're not designed to eat beans. They're lethal unless they're cooked properly as are grains. Uh, rats are designed to eat these things grazing animals are designed to eat these things and they have a completely different stomach system and a completely different microbiome system so what I what I found was that if we eliminate modern foods many of which are considered healthy that we can actually restore the uh, functioning and communication uh, between the, the gut and the rest of our cells so, 10,000 years ago, none of us ate grains or beans. Those are two of the biggest lethal things in our modern diet. But one of the fascinating things is we forget that all of us in America are not from America. Hmm. We're, we're from Europe, we're from Asia, and we're from Africa. So that means none of us were exposed to an American plant until 500 years ago when Columbus started trade. And getting to know a new lectin, a protein in plants, that plants defend themselves in 500 years is like uh, speed dating in evolution. And I kind of laugh at some of my paleo colleagues who think that uh, our African ancestors ate tomatoes. Uh, Tomatoes are an American nightshade, and none of us ate a tomato until 500 years ago. In fact, the nightshade family, potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, peppers, and goji berries uh, are modern foods, and traditional cultures have dealt with these. The Italians and French peel and de-seed their tomatoes because the peels and the seeds have the lectins. The Southwest American Indians actually roast their chilies, peel them, and then de-seed them before they grind them into chili powder or eat them as chilies. And one of the things I ask my patients to do is open a can of green chilies and look for the peels and seeds and they'll notice they're gone because traditional cultures have known how to deal with the lectins in these plants. The squash family are American plants. Uh, Cucumbers, zucchinis, pumpkins, and the peels and seeds have a lot of lectins. Sunflower seeds are a real mischief maker. They're an American plant. Pumpkin seeds are a mischief maker. Chia seeds, Uh, my good friend Lauren Cordain sent me a few papers a couple years ago showing that chia seeds promote inflammation in humans. And our perennial favorites, peanuts and cashews. These, of course, are not nuts, they're beans, they're in the legume family. And 94% of humans carry a preformed antibody to the lectins in peanuts. In fact, as a heart surgeon, one of the best ways to produce heart disease in a rhesus monkey, our cousin, is to give them peanut oil. And the lectin in the peanut oil causes heart disease. If you take the lectin out of the peanut oil and give the rhesus monkeys peanut oil without lectin, they don't get heart disease. And the other thing I like to get on my high horse about is whole grains. I know gluten is a big fad right now, and I take care of a lot of people who have celiac disease, but most people who think they are reacting to gluten are actually reacting to a much nastier lectin called wheat germ agglutinin, and it's abbreviated WGA. And the other best way to produce heart disease in an animal model is to give them wheat germ agglutinin. So wheat germ produces heart disease. And it's so healthy. And it's no wonder that for 10,000 years we've been trying to make bread white and only the poor people got the brown bread. And it's no wonder that four billion people who use rice as their staple go to the trouble of eating white rice, taking the haul off the brown rice. It's because Traditionally, we've been getting rid of the hulls on seeds, which contain the most of the lectins. So that's what I do.
0: So going back to this is fascinating because it's you know wrapping around this paleo argument with a lot more intelligence. Um, so when. When we started to realize this, so so let's just say you know the Hopi Indians start peeling their, their peppers and de-seeding them, how do they know this traditionally? I mean, it's getting passed down. Are they watching anecdotally? Are they watching for symptoms in people? Like how, How's this passed down in that kind of lineage?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was passed down in stories, uh, and I think people noticed uh, what was happening to them. Um, for instance, uh, 10,000 years ago at the dawn of agriculture, the average human stood uh, six feet tall, men and women. And our brain was actually 15% bigger than it is today. And everybody says, well, wait a minute, we were little bitty people and now we're getting bigger. Well, in fact, that's not true from the skeletal evidence. What happened at the dawn of agriculture is that we shrunk uh, about a foot and a half in 2,000 years from eating grains and beans. And it's really only been in the the last 100 years that we've had this tremendous growth spurt. In fact, traditional uh, Asians, uh, up until the last generation, have been very small, because Asians traditionally eat a much higher plant-based diet than Western Europeans. And uh, the plant compounds have actually stunted their growth. Interesting. Uh,
0: Yeah, rice. So, so white rice, brown rice, uh, just being one of those in the family. But you're talking about plant compounds that are uh, newer, the 500 years or newer ones, the the lectins that we have less uh, ability to process, or stuff that kind of crosses over into both.
1: Yeah, it it crosses over into both. uh, But we've, you know, the the idea that uh, you know an Italian would eat whole whole wheat pasta is just you know a travesty. They've been throwing the whole away for as long as they've been using uh, wheat. Same way with the French. The French don't have, you know, eat whole wheat baguettes. They eat white baguettes, and they don't eat whole wheat croissants. They eat white bread croissants. Mm. And it's because I think cultures have figured out that when they eat Uh, like the whole grain or these other things they feel worse I mean for instance the Italians refused to eat uh, peppers I mean not peppers tomatoes for 200 years after their native son brought them back because they thought they were toxic and they were actually right they were right Uh, and uh, I mean I've my mother my mother's mother was French and my grandmother taught my mother to always peel and de-seed tomatoes before she sliced them uh, and and it, it actually wasn't until I went away to Yale that I ever had a sliced tomato with peels and seeds, and I thought it was the oddest thing I've, I've ever seen.
0: And by the time you're old enough to recognize that, who knows whether it's you know, the, the bills you're worrying about, the, uh, you know, the hangover from last weekend or whatever that's making you feel a little off. Right? It, right. It's subtle.
1: Yeah, these are very subtle things, although in my book I talk about a, a group of people who I call my canaries who really minute minute exposure to lectin-containing compounds or foods sets them off, whether it's with asthma, whether it's with migraines. Um, I'll I'll give you a a wonderful example of a lady who's in the book who's uh, originally from Lima, Peru. And she moved to uh, L.A. when she was 40 uh, for a job and she decided to continue to try to eat her traditional Peruvian diet, which contained a lot of uh, quinoa, and she did. And she got really horrible uh, IBS, and a friend of a friend sent her out to me in Palm Springs, and I started to talk to her about quinoa, about how the Incas had detoxification processes to get the lectins out of quinoa, how they fermented it. And her eyes got really wide, and she says, oh my gosh, my mother told me you can't eat quinoa without pressure cooking at first because it's so toxic. And I didn't believe her, I thought it was an old wives' tale. So when I came to LA, i have been eating quinoa just cooked. And my mother actually arrived three weeks ago and bought me a pressure cooker and said, you stupid girl, you know, didn't you learn anything? So I, she said, my mother was right. And I said, call me in a month and let me know. And she did, and sure enough, once she started pressure cooking her quinoa, all of her symptoms went away.
0: Amazing, amazing. Yeah. It's, you, you know, the, the your book is called the, the Plant Paradox, which is perfect because you know there's so much advice that we've been given about quinoa, amaranth, all these ancient grains. I mean, the older the sexier, right? And, and so yeah. you take the baby yeah. with the bathwater and you have no idea what's happening here.
1: Um, That's exactly right. You know, there are a couple of grains, speaking of ancient grains, almost all grains have hulls, and the hull actually contains the lectin, and it's the defense system of the plant to protect its babies from being eaten, and millet and sorghum don't have hulls, so in my book, if you're going to eat grains, um, millet and sorghum are your go-to grains.
0: What about Uh, downstream
1: like white rice or something like that? Is white
0: rice is it clear or correct.
1: Right white rice, if you're gonna eat a traditional grain, it's by far the safest. But what I do is I ask people to get white basmati rice from India and it's actually the highest resistant starch of the rices. And then cook it and then cool it, put it in the refrigerator and then reheat it, and just the process of cooling it um, really activates the resistant starch of white rice even better.
0: Interesting, interesting. So you're having people have to unlearn a lot of things that they thought they knew, um, which is never an easy job. Um, no. No, but the, I th- I'm, I'm assuming the real, the real sword that you have here that you draw and charge with is the fact that you know, they run on faith, they listen to you for a minute, and all of a sudden they're feeling a hell of a lot better so you've got their attention.
1: Yeah, not only that, but um, when I started my practice I had uh, the luxury of having some relationships with some very sophisticated labs that I used when I was a university researcher on uh, transplant immunology. So every three months, we send a host of labs up to the Bay Area, to Richmond, Virginia, to uh, Texas, and we can look at inflammatory cytokines, and we can look at other markers of inflammation. And it's shocking that about 25% of people who just visit me for any particular reason have markers of lectin intolerance. And I've published this data, I presented it at the American Heart Association. And if we take these foods away from them, we can actually show them in their labs that all these markers of inflammation and of inflammatory cytokines have completely dropped to normal. And then I've also written a paper where we've reintroduced these foods to people, either on purpose or quite by accident and their inflammation markers go up. So there's, there's actually deep published science behind this. It's not just feeling better, although that's the obvious consequence. Sure as hell
0: helps. So let's talk about this gluten thing. I mean, there's all sorts of Sophisticated lab analysis. Now they're looking at all the different kind of gluten-like compounds, and you know, just going down this this gluten track, trying to figure out which of the gluten family people are allergic to. All right, so you're saying that you're, in your experience, it's oftentimes the lectins. Um, and what's the difference for the layperson? Gluten yes. lectin. What is this stuff?
1: So uh, gluten is a lectin. Yep. Uh, it's actually a minor lectin. Uh, Gluten interestingly enough is contained in the endosperm of wheat, rye and barley. And in almost all my patients who go gluten-free and are eating oats, they're getting gluten in their oats even if they're certified gluten-free because there's a cr- cross-reactive uh, lectin in uh, oats. The, the the key about gluten is it's on the endosperm, it's in the inside. The hull is the major protective part of a grain. And so plants actually invest most of their firepower in the hull, and that's where, for instance, wheat germagglutinin is. And what I've found, I definitely have people who carry the HLA markers for celiac disease, and I have a number of people with celiac disease, but. Most of the people I see with celiac disease have been gluten free, and yet all of their inflammation markers are still very high. And there's a beautiful, actually there's several beautiful papers of taking celiac patients, having them gluten free for two years, and biopsying their small bowel again, and 83% of these people still have celiac by intestinal biopsy two years after going gluten-free. And that's because most gluten-free foods are actually full of more mischievous lectins than gluten is. And I think that's been a fundamental mistake in all of this gluten-free uh, interest.
0: Absolutely.
1: The, other th- yeah, the other thing I talk about in the book, we actually have bacteria that enjoy eating gluten. They digest gluten. But if you go gluten-free, you, these bacteria leave. They have nothing to eat. And so they actually leave our intestines. And then when you re-eat gluten, expose yourself to gluten, you actually have no defense system against gluten. The other thing I try to get people to realize is that there are traditional cultures that eat pure gluten. Uh, the Indonesians, their protein of choice is, is seitan which is pure vital gluten. And of course, the French and the Italians and most Europeans eat large amounts of gluten in their white bread and white pasta, but they don't have uh, that much gluten issues because two reasons. Number one, they have gluten-eating bacteria. And number two, they don't have Roundup sprayed on their foods. And and, uh, I go into, in quite detail, how Roundup, glyphosate, actually potentiates gluten sensitivity, and that's been one of the big changes. I have a number of people in the book who, we've gotten all kind of cleared up of their autoimmune disease or their IBS, and they go home to their native land, using uh, use an example of a woman in Eastern Europe, and. She was able to eat the breads there without any problem. She was able to eat uh, yogurts there from what are called A2 cows. And she thought she was cured. And she came back and began eating the same things in America. And immediately her uh, IBS returned, her autoimmune disease returned. And when we took the American equivalent of what she was eating away from her, she was fine. So now she eats her traditional foods when she's in Eastern Europe, but she doesn't come near them when she's in the United States because our food supply has been so poisoned by what we've done.
0: Brought to you by the people that made Agent Orange. Um, yeah, glyphosate is a big yep. deal, and um, I, I, I've, I was just on a phone call yesterday, actually, with with some a group that's doing a bunch of research into this. And you know, there's very few labs that even test accurately for glyphosate levels, so it's really even hard to know how much your exposure is. There was that Swedish study that was kind of fun that came out. The, the family that just ate you know organic for a week, and they looked at all their toxins, which was interesting. But we're just not even geared up to know how bad it is in most people.
1: Right. In fact, you know, there was a study just recently released on uh, California wines, and there's actually remarkable amounts of glyphosate in California wines, and even some of the organic wines have glyphosate in them, uh, which uh, shows how, you know, it spreads from one vineyard where it's sprayed and, you know, happens into an organic vineyard. So this is, uh, it's, a, it. It, it's a huge problem, <laughs> it's a huge problem. God damn it. Okay, so
0: here we are, we're, we're better dressed apes who used to eat you know tr- tree leaves and, and the such, and so you're telling me now tomatoes are off the menu, quinoa you gotta put a bunch of work into, rice you gotta cool down, so you know, what, you know, what the first kind of question comes up for people is, okay, doc, what the hell do I eat, right? Like, how do, how, how do I live now?
1: Yeah, so you're designed to eat leaves and a lot of fat, and quite frankly, I think the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth, (laughs) and uh, uh, if you look at uh, Spanish studies, studies out of Sardinia and Crete, these people consume a liter of olive oil per week. To give your uh, listeners an idea, that's 12 tablespoons a day. And a beautiful Spanish study released last year looking at 65-year-old people. The punchline is the people who used a liter of olive oil per week after five years had better memory than people eating a low-fat Mediterranean diet. And the women in that group had a 67% less incidence of breast cancer than the low-fat Mediterranean diet. So uh, have a lot of olive oil. Eat a lot of leaves. Eat tubers. We're designed to eat roots, things like sweet potatoes, things like jicama, things like turnips, rutabagas. Uh, The more kind of root vegetables you eat, the better. These are resistant starches that your gut bugs love. Uh, Use jicama to dip guacamole. Believe it or not, true guacamole does not have any tomatoes in them. And Trader Joe's makes one, uh, Costco has one called Holy Guacamole, which I mentioned in the book. So there's a lot of options for that. The other thing is a pressure cooker makes destruction of all lectins except for the gluten molecule. A pressure cooker cannot destroy the gluten molecule, but it'll destroy the lectins in beans, it'll destroy the lectins in tomatoes and peppers and eggplant. The modern pressure cooker is not your grandmother's pressure cooker that exploded and filled the kitchen. Uh, It's a one-touch device. It's just like a rice cooker. And the amazing thing is pressure cookers make anything so fast. I mean, you can have a wonderful uh, plate of lentils that you pour olive oil over in about seven minutes in a pressure cooker. Unbelievable. It's fantastic. No soaking, no nothing needed. No soaking, no nothing. Bam, the lectins So are what happens
0: with, with denatured, like, destructed uh, uh, lectins, is that a problem, or can we just assimilate it once they're broken up?
1: Yeah, once they're broken down, lectins are very large proteins, and they normally actually are kept out of our system by our intact intestinal wall. But coming back to your lead story that you led in with, um, our intestinal wall is normally, as, as you know, uh, one cell thick. And these cells are bound together by what are called tight junctions. And the surface area of our intestines is the equivalent of a tennis court. And so when people are going to watch the French Open or Wimbledon in a few weeks, imagine a tennis court. That's inside every one of us. And there is only one cell separating us from everything we swallow. So lectins are so big that they can't be absorbed, but what lectins do is actually pry open these tight junctions, and then not only do lectins go through, but also they're accompanied by the other evil empire, which are pieces of bacteria that are called lipopolysaccharides. They're abbreviated LPS, and uh, I don't swear, but in my book, I can't help but calling them little pieces of shit, uh, because (laughs) that's actually what they are. When these guys get into our bloodstream, our immune system actually thinks we're under attack by bacteria. And we actually thicken our blood, and we actually attack the surface of our blood vessels, because lectins actually attach to our blood vessels and incite inflammation. In fact, I'm convinced that most heart disease comes from lectins doing this. And if you swallow an Advil, or you swallow an Aleve for pain, you should know that even a few days of doing this has now been proven in the British Medical Journal published two days ago, that you increase your risk of a heart attack by 30 to 50% just by taking Aleve or Advil for three to four days for pain. And it's because we didn't know it, but drug companies knew that Aleve or Advil is like swallowing a hand grenade, and it blows giant holes in the wall of your gut. And lectins and these little pieces of shit go right on through. Drug companies knew this. We didn't know it because our gastroscopes didn't go far enough to see the damage they were doing. And it was only until we had the pill cameras that we realized what was actually happening.
0: Oh my goodness. So once this happens, all of a sudden, you have this, this barrier and you know, the, the immune system is attacking. Do you get some of the same stuff uh, with the lectins, with uh, autoimmunity and these challenges with the immune system saying, okay, is this friend or foe, and then creating antibodies?
1: That's exactly right, and it's called molecular mimicry. And one of the fascinating things about plants uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of plants. I'm also a big plant predator, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But you gotta, you gotta know who you can eat and who you can't eat. You gotta know who you can trust. So plants have had 400 million years to work out a defense system. And we forget that most of our drugs actually began as plant compounds. So plants use chemical warfare. And one of the clever things plants do is they make the proteins in lectins look to resemble other proteins in our body, particularly our vital organs, and when lectins get into our system, our immune system starts looking for these proteins, and they see a protein that looks very similar, like on our joint, the synovial surface, or in our thyroid, or on our pancreas, or quite frankly, on our nerves, and we attack it thinking it's a lectin, not wanting to make a mistake. We'd rather shoot first and ask questions later. So this is molecular mimicry. And a a plant that as you shoot yourself in the foot, so to speak, wins. Because you're basically a disabled predator. And anything that a plant can evolve to ensure its survival, and more importantly, ensure its babies, its seed survivals, always wins evolutionary. So, they've they've had 400 years to work this out.
0: 400 million.
1: Yeah, 400 million. 400
0: million. So, okay. 400 million years. So, so these proteins that we then denature, that we can then assimilate better without the molecular mimicry, because now we've destroyed them. Great. Yep. We got a nice source of pressure-cooked plant protein. What about eating the grazers that are eating the grains. Uh, the, big, the, the big protein question comes in next. What are you seeing with, with animal meats and how those are affecting us?
1: So, um, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, actually in Milwaukee, just above you, and uh, you know, a couple of meat and cheese capitals of the world. And I I hate to say it, but uh, animal protein is really mischievous to us, particularly beef, pork, and lamb. Um, Number one, all of these animals have been fed grains and beans, which are not their natural food. And I've shown that people who eat even free-range chicken, which is not free-range in the least, it's kept in a warehouse. And fed organic corn and soybeans will in will in fact incite an inflammatory response in my patients because chickens are insectivores; they're designed to eat bugs. So um, there's a big section in the book on if you're going to eat animal products, try to eat wild shellfish or wild fish as your go-to choice. But there's a Big part of the book that animal proteins in fact age us quite dramatically. And I show some of my research and other research into why this happens. And there's certain amino acids in animal protein that turn on the energy sensing system in our cells called MTOR. And these proteins, amino acids, are far less prevalent in plants. So in the Adventist health study, and I was a professor at Loma Linda, the longest living of the Adventists, and the Adventists are one of the blue zones, um, the longest living people in the world, the longest living of the Adventists are actually vegans, and the second longest living are the Adventist vegetarians who, who are lacto ovo vegetarians. The next down are the pescatarians, and then there's the real cheating adventists who eat chicken and uh, beef, and they're farther down. So, it's uh, unfortunately not good for you. Plus, in the book, people will learn about a sugar molecule in beef, pork, and lamb called NU5GC that, infl- that incites an autoimmune attack on our blood vessels. And it also incites cancer cells to protect themselves, and it's fascinating research. Uh, I was involved in it uh, at Loma Linda in xenotransplantation, and uh, my editor at HarperCollins allowed me to put it in the book because it's pretty scary stuff.
0: Yeah, I'll say so. Okay, so then the, uh, the the question that kind of comes with that is okay, what happens with food combining to get enough protein? There's all this kind of you know fuss about getting enough protein.
1: You know, uh, I've spoken with many gorillas and chimpanzees. Um, They don't have to worry about food combining. Uh, Gorillas eat 16 pounds of leaves every day. They have more muscle than we will ever have in our uh, imagination. Horses, all they eat is grass. Uh, They'll have more muscle than than we will ever have. All the largest animals on earth are herbivores. They just eat grass and leaves. And we have to forget we evolved from that system. We share 99% of our genes with chimps and gorillas. So we're at, at our fundamental, we're an herbivore. We're actually a leaf-eating herbivore. Now, do I think we need a lot more fat than gorillas? Yes, but people should realize that a gorilla, even though he eats all those leaves, actually absorbs a 60% fat diet because the bacteria digest the leaves and the bacteria actually produce fats and proteins that the gorilla absorbs. So uh, we absorb plenty by letting our gut bacteria do the work for us by eating leaves and quality fats like avocados or coconut oil or uh, my favorite, olive oil.
0: Uh, pint a, a pint a week, and so when, when we talk about leaves, I mean, we got romaine lettuce, um, give me more, right? Like, what,
1: what are the leaves that we can
0: yeah, get so into?
1: Any of, any of the lettuces, any of the brassica vegetables. Uh, I'm a huge fan of inulin-containing leaves, uh, things like radicchio and Belgian endive. Uh, Jerusalem artichokes are one of my favorite. Chicory has a lot of inulin. Uh, Eat flowers. Broccoli and cauliflower are flowers. Um, Eat artichokes. They're flowers. Uh, Eat shoots. Uh, Asparagus is a great plant to eat. Uh, All of these things we have been eating for millions of years in one form or another. And that's actually what our genes have been designed to interact with and what our gut microbiota have been designed to interact with.
0: Raw versus cooked or steamed?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So uh, I've I've done uh, raw food for uh, nine months and had fantastic health. Quite frankly, it's almost impossible to sustain long term. Even some of the best of the raw food chefs have reintroduced some cooked food into their diet just because it's so hard to sustain. One of the things we should realize that made us human is fire fire. and there is some interesting evidence out of China that vegetarians who eat a large proportion of their vegetables raw have a higher incidence of Parkinson's disease than vegetarians who eat their food cooked and that's because there's very good experimental evidence that lectins uh, cause Parkinson's disease. So. I think we have to have a balance between uh, raw and cooked. And we, we do have to remember that cooking uh, really enabled us to become the modern human with a smaller gut than a gorilla.
0: Fair enough. And so what about nutrients, what about supplements? Is there anything that, you know, you look at the modern diet and everyone's like, well, we don't, we don't have access to that crap anymore, the soil is dead, whatever, whatever. Well, how, do, how do we supplement?
1: Yeah, that's very true. Uh, one of the things that we have to realize is that our ancient ancestors uh, ate and interacted with 250 different plant species on a rotating basis. And these plants were all in loam soil. that was eight feet deep. They had their own microbiome in the soil. They had huge amounts of magnesium and trace minerals in the soil, and that's all gone. And even my organic patients, uh, if you really think that you can duplicate 250 different plant species on a rotating basis, I've, I've got o- oceanfront property here in Palm Springs to sell you. It, it can't be done. And, and I used to think supplements made expensive urine. I, I literally used to tell my patients that. But I can tell now from these blood tests whether someone is actually taking a supplement uh, that will actually dilate their blood vessels or eliminate the stickiness on the inside of the blood vessels. I can tell if they've changed brands and they're flabbergasted. I'll go, eh, you're not, uh, did you change brands? Yeah, how'd you know? I said, well, because look, see, this is doing this now. So um, about uh, last summer, uh, I decided, uh, after sending people to Costco and Trader Joe's, and please, you can go to those places, or Amazon, I decided to make my own line of supplements, and it's at Gundry MD. And uh, I finally uh, founded a company where I could control everything that goes in it. Uh, no one tells me uh, what to do. And so, the things that people need to get in their diet, uh, supplement wise, almost every human being is deficient in vitamin D, as in dog. Vitamin D, there's no such thing as vitamin D toxicity. There's very strong evidence that from my lab and other people's labs that most people with autoimmune disease have profound low levels of vitamin D. Uh, Often, bare minimum is 5,000 international units a day. I think everyone should have a, a vitamin D level of at least 70, preferably 100, I run mine at greater than 120. Uh, Most people with autoimmune disease are sitting in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Secondly, we are profoundly deficient in fish oil. Uh, There's some very good studies in aging now that people who have the highest levels of omega-3 index have the largest brains and the largest areas of memory, the hippocampus, compared to people who have the le- lowest levels of omega-3, they have the most shrunken brains and the smallest areas of memory. And this is one where one place where vegans and I take care of a lot of vegans have to understand you cannot make long-chain omega-3 fats from flaxseed oil. It's impossible. We do not have the ability to do that. Take algae based DHA, and there is now algae based EPA as well, and get your levels up. Next, polyphenols. Polyphenols are these plant compounds in dark fruits and dark vegetables that do an amazing thing when activated by gut bacteria. I've uh, written papers on how polyphenols increase the flexibility of blood vessels. Get polyphenols in your life. Things like grapeseed extract is cheap. Things like pycnogenol, um, just to use an example. Green tea extract has great polyphenols. Coffee has great polyphenols. And extra dark chocolate. Try to get above 80% if possible, 70%. Uh, Chew on some cocoa nibs. Green phytochemicals, the green things in plants. People don't eat enough of phytochemicals in plants. Uh, get a supplement for it, but beware green drinks. Almost all green drinks have wheat grass and barley grass, mm. and I got news for you, you weren't designed to eat grass. Just follow your dog's example. If you eat grass, you're designed to throw up. Uh, <laughs> And that's what Ann Wigmore invented wheatgrass to do at her, her Hippocrates Institute was to try to make her patients vomit. Uh, not a great idea. So those are, those are the biggies. Magnesium is so deficient in Americans as a heart surgeon. I have to give people two grams of magnesium intravenously every six hours for 48 hours to get their magnesium up. We forget that insulin has to have magnesium to work. So take a magnesium supplement, soak in Epsom salts, put magnesium oil on your skin, uh, get magnesium back in your system. The other thing that is amazing is we're seeing a profound iodine deficiency in people who are using sea salt. Sea salt doesn't have any iodine. And one of the only smart things the federal government ever did was mandate iodine in salt in the early 1900s get iodized sea salt or take some iodine drops or do what I do, I take spirulina, which is an algae. It's cheap, you can buy it at Trader Joe's and it's a great source of iodine. Take so it daily. Those are, no, I love yeah, it, yeah, take love it. it. Yep,
0: yeah, that's those a, are a few. treasure trove of information. Um, I learned a lot today. I, I really, uh, I'm gonna be reading this book this weekend. There are a lot of things that you said are very compelling. I've been in this world for a while, looking at all this gluten stuff, and you know, you're, a lot of these patients don't get better, and there are lots of kind of open open items in um, what we know, and so I think that part of what you're talking about here with the lectins, and also just really starting to emphasize you know, the leaves and the things that we have evolved to eat, um, are huge game changers, and you're seeing it, obviously, in your clinical practices, uh, and so, you know, how long before people start to feel a difference? Uh, you know, if I were to pull off all lectins and start eating like a gorilla, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks?
1: Yeah, most people notice in a week or two, uh, people with autoimmune disease or really leaky gut, it's gonna take longer, because their microbiome is really pretty screwed up. Uh, let me give you the example. Most of the gut healing uh, protocols out there, Uh, are basically, if you've got a bunch of hole, if you're out in a boat on the lake and uh, water is coming in through some holes in the bottom of your boat, you can bail with a bucket and keep the water out of your boat, but if more water comes in, you're going to need a bigger and bigger bucket. And most of these gut healing (coughs) protocols uh, are just bailing water. So what I like to do is seal the holes, and once you seal seal the holes, you don't need a bucket anymore. And I'm convinced that things like lectins, think things like NSAIDs, uh, are really the cause of these holes, and getting lectins out, first and foremost, allows you to heal yourself.
0: Do you have a list of all the lectin, uh, the high lectin foods in the book?
1: Yep, yep, there's a just say no list, and then there's a just say yes list. Love it. And uh, then there's a, a list of the seven deadly disruptors that have really, let lectins on the loose in in our uh, body and it's uh pretty fascinating what some of these are
0: yep i love it the book is called the plant paradox dr, dr. stephen gundry uh it's only about an hour and a half away from me out in the desert here in california um, I am uh, you know, out there now and again, and um, you know, one of these times I'm going to come pay you a visit and I'll read the book first because um, there's a lot of things in here that I need to know. And a couple of things that just like, immediately come to mind with my, my wife and my mother-in-law who are having some issues. My mother-in-law has been gluten-free for a while and she's still not resolved, and so it's like, okay, hold on. Uh, yeah,
1: that's, that, that, many of the people are exactly who I see. They, they don't understand you know, they're gluten-free and stuff are still happening.
0: Yep, yep. Thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for not doing heart surgery um, uh, and, and going the, the, the harder road and uh, you know playing the educator. Uh, it's, it's a big uh, transition for someone to put in that kind of work. Uh, so I commend you on the honorable decision that you made to be able to help more people this way.
1: Well, thanks a lot and pleasure. I enjoy your work as well. And uh, please stop by and see me.
0: We'll do. I'll be paying you a visit. Let me know what you think. Get the book. Read the book. I'm going to read the book this weekend and I'm gonna start making some changes. I'll report back to you. Let's do this together. It's Dr. Pedram Shojai, the Urban Monk. I will see you next time.